Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is Tiffany Wojnowski, a performance consultant with GP Strategies. Hello, Tiffany. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So tell us a little bit about your background in learning and development. Well, I came to L&D from the teaching and school leadership space. So I worked in some pretty high needs urban high schools, and that's where I became really passionate about educational justice. And I really found my commitment to enhancing the learner experience just because of some of the things that I was seeing there in those environments. So while I was there, I became really curious about why students were able to learn and behave really well in certain classrooms and not so much in others. So a lot of that came down to environment and just how well the classroom was set up to provide certain cues and incentives of what engagement should look like. So I started working with other teachers to coach them on that, and I became sort of a professional middleman between learners and teachers, sort of negotiating that space between, you know, what students and teachers expected of one another, as well as what teachers and administration needed and expected from one another. Okay, fantastic. So, and that's our topic today, is developing engaging learning experiences in the corporate world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think anyone who's worked for a corporation or been through any kind of corporate training knows that all too often these experiences are not the most engaging, unfortunately, <laughs> right? Right, um, right. So, but it would be way better if, if they are engaging. You certainly would, <laughs> would learn more. I mean, people would pay more attention. So let's start right there. I mean, how, what do we mean by an engaging learning experience? What does that mean exactly? And maybe, you know, what does it look like? What's a good example of an engaging learning experience in a corporate environment? Sure. You know, when I was teaching, it was pretty much the purest way to practice design thinking. I was empathizing with learners directly every day, iterating on my feet, again, literally, as I taught and retaught classes and sort of changed them in the air. So I'm really lucky right now to work with clients who give me access to learners. So I get to travel, I get to meet them in their environments, and they will walk me through what they need. And they will use their own words. Sometimes they'll demonstrate for me. So what I keep hearing is an engaging learning experience meets the learner where they are for as long as they need to be there. They can connect, they can get what they need. They can walk away when they're done. It's just over when it's over. Um, So it, it lasts exactly as long as it needs to so that they learn, which is a tall order, right? Because every one of us is different and every one of us has different needs. So what I keep hearing over and over is that an engaging learning experience needs to involve a lot of learner choice. It's very driven by learner autonomy. So the learner is saying to us, I need to decide when I'm learning and when I'm going to stop learning. And you need to trust me to do that. I need to feel like I'm not being punished when I'm learning. So please don't hold me hostage. So that's what we keep hearing. And some of the ways those things look would be, you know, user interface concerns. So make make this system easy to log into. Wherever you store the stuff that I learn from, I need to be able to get in easily. It needs to have a low barrier to entry. Um, when I'm in there, make things easy to find. Don't use learning ease. Use my own idiom. 
you know, make it something that I would actually say or actually look for. Think of the way people Google things, you know, like, I don't know what this rash on my arm is. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not Googling skin lesions. You know, that's not so idiomatic. Put the WIFM up front. So why do I want this? What does it help me do? Keep it super short. So if we think of learning materials as almost kind of a sandbox of toys, they need to look interesting. They need to be colorful. Um, we need to think about apps and things that your learners are using electively. They need to look colorful and be interesting. And it's very image heavy. Text is short. The WIFM's right up front. The clickbait is right up front. They need to know right away what they do just by looking at them. They don't want complicated instructions and they need to work. They need to load quickly. They need to function. They need to be current links and they need to be located somewhere where they can be found every single time. If they're moved, if they get you know, move between systems and shuffled around, then we lose our learners. Our learners stop trusting us. And they need to know that they won't get penalized or get in trouble for using them. But they won't be looked down on for not knowing something. And that's more of a cultural and environment sort of driver there. Mm -hmm. Now, you're, it sounds like you're talking about apps and sort of digital platforms that can deliver learning when individual learners need it in a kind of personalized way. Am, am, I, am I on the right track there? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that apps um, have a really high potential. I think we have a lot of potential to adopt some of the things that are working in the app space and in the platform space. Definitely. You know, and we're getting a lot of free design advice just by talking to learners. So if we don't take that advice, they're going to be out on Google and they're going to be using Google as their LMS, basically, and they're going to be looking for their own content. So, you know, in conjunction with apps and with technology, where I really see an opportunity for L&D is to teach some information literacy skills. So, of course, when I was in the school environment, sometimes I was teaching students, you know, at the high school level who were the first generation in their families to be literate. And that created some interesting challenges, but it was also really amazing and inspiring and my goal is always to look at learners in terms of what they know, not so much from a deficit perspective at all, because everyone has accumulated knowledge. It's just knowledge that works in different spaces. So if they're in a space and their accumulated knowledge isn't working, it's not so much that they have a deficit. It's that they need to be upskilled for that particular space that they're in now. So it's not that they don't know anything. It's that maybe we don't know how to value what they know. And we need to offer something and then we need to find out what they can offer. So going back to the literacy idea, we have a new kind of literacy, you know, relatively new. When the internet, when apps came out, when we all started using smartphones, we were first generation literate in those apps. You know, our parents didn't have those. Our grandparents didn't have those. And as technology continues to just speed forward at a lightning pace, you know, literacy is going to change. So maybe every generation will have some new kind of literacy. So I think that if we're going to deploy apps or deploy platforms, we need to be able to use them in a way that shows people how to kind of process what's already out there, because there's a tremendous amount out there. Just to be a little boring, I'm going to say mm -hmm. that if you're going to, I'm, I'm kind of a boring learner. I'm very you know, text-based, very, very boring. But I try to empathize with learners who are more visual and who need to be engaged more. You know, if you use a technology or an app, it needs to solve a problem for the learner. I mean, you can design a beautiful game to teach me to tie my shoes or 
to sell a prescription drug. But, you know, if you make me download and play it just to find out, you know, some basic piece of information, I'm going to, I'm going to just Google it. I don't want to pay mm-hmm. that name. That's too much. I'm not going to go through all that. So I think it's really important that you think about the use case first. So you want the technology to be the frame, sort of the way that you access your learner, and you don't want it to become the main thing that you're teaching or supporting or remediating. So you need to, first of all, understand, you know, do you have too big of a user base to interact meaningfully on this app or to access content from this app? You know, I'm thinking about a certain retailer who has a great sale every year and every year the sale crashes the app. So um, clearly mm. they, the technology becomes the focus. It should be this great sale. It should be this great opportunity, but then it's not. It becomes all about tech support and it gets very frustrating. And then users, you know, don't come back or they, or they grouse about it, you know, on Instagram. So um, the technology really needs to support that use case. So we want to understand, you know, is this platform or app simplifying the access to the learners? Is it showing, you know, something that they can't access otherwise? Is it giving them access to each other? And also, is it adding additional personnel needs? Is it adding moderators? Is it adding, you know, requirements for people to review comments to make sure they're appropriate? Is it requiring additional tech support? So I would really say go with Occam's Razor. (laughs) Just keep it as simple as possible. There are a lot of shiny objects out there that do very, very cool things. But again, teaching that information literacy, we don't want learners to have 10 apps on their phone just to support them doing their jobs, essentially. Right. Absolutely. Now, there's a lot there in what you're saying. I I mean, I I want to round back a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just based on my own personal experience, having been through different kinds of corporate training modules, Mm. they, I got to say, and I'm sure I'm not alone for anyone who's been through these, by and large, they're not very engaging. And that's Mm -hmm. because, again, in my personal experience, you know, something will pop up in email and say, you need to do this training. Okay. And I'll click on the link and it'll take me somewhere and I'll just kind of do it to get it out of the way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not clear to me exactly why I need to do it. It's not (laughs) tied to anything that I'm doing Mm -hmm. day to day immediately. You know, I'm not choosing to do it because Mm -hmm. I, I need to figure something out. It's just sort of something that, you know, the powers that be have deemed like, okay, people need to do this now. And that, why... What's the problem there, first of all? Like, what about that makes it not engaging? I mean, I know it, it doesn't engage me, but why is that? And what can companies do to kind of break out of that system? Because I think that's pretty common. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think oh, it's pretty common. No. It's, it's epidemic, absolutely. Yeah. And just saying corporate training module made my soul just feel a little bit sad. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> absolutely. So, um Yeah, I think we've all been through those modules and we've all felt held hostage by them. And that is something I advocate against as much as possible. I know there is some mandatory compliance training. Again, so content should be in a targeted dose. A lot of us have had that experience where we're looking at a module and it's this gray color. It's like the color of of a cube at work. And we're just clicking through and something's reading to us. And first of all, it's just really bad practice to both 
read and listen to the same thing. Um, you're occupying too many channels there um, with information that doesn't enhance any knowledge and getting those learning objectives up front. And there are these very behavioral learning objectives that can't possibly you know, be tested in this course as you click the radio button to proceed. Mm -hmm. So not a fan. What I recommend is content needs to be in a, a targeted dose. So this should not be a multivitamin that covers everything. This is a single nutrient, if you will. And we need to have the with them up front. So what's in it for me? What does this help me do? If it's just mandatory training module, I think we all die a little inside. So we need to know, well, what does this help me do? So maybe if it's about information security, um, how do I keep from putting everyone's information at risk? How do I make sure I don't click on ransomware and install it into my computer? I think we need that up front. And I think um, just because we all have, you know, the learning styles has been debunked as a myth, but we do all have preferences. And I know that after a long day of meetings, I don't want to listen to someone else talk. So I would really prefer to read the transcript of a video. And that's something that TED Talks have done very well. So you can either listen to it or watch the video, or you can just read the transcript. So I'm a fan of offering multiple modalities so that people can consume the information in different ways. So getting outside of that web-based training module that we can all picture in our heads, offer a podcast, offer mm -hmm. an image, offer some type of job aid like that, offer a video with transcript and, you know, make it really a microdose, um, mm -hmm. not a 30 minute thing that you have to click through. Um, and if you close it, you might lose your progress and you have to do it all again tomorrow and you're really busy. So, you know, on one hand, not everything needs to be a game or an app. And then on the other hand, not everything should be a 30 minute module that is gray in color and has the next button that you can't hit until you listen to mm -hmm. the voice finish reading it. So, you know, again, that makes the interface the focus. Um, we're just so aware of how bored we are that we don't even, you know, we don't even see the information that's being presented to us because we're just being held hostage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you make a great point about, and, and this has always puzzled me, why, right, you can read the thing, and then there's also a voice just saying it, but it's the same exact information. Mm -hmm. That's that, that really is a big turnoff. You're just like, why, are, why is the module set up this way? It doesn't make any sense. But now you, you've mentioned a couple times the phrase micro-learning, right? Yeah. Which for our listeners who may not be familiar with that, right, that's instead of the half-hour-long or hour-long session, it's more short bursts of learning sure. that you can kind of mm -hmm. get on demand. And that's kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum than what you've just been describing, right? That sort of grayed <laughs> out right. module that, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody likes. So how for companies that have been doing that more traditional kind of training, whether it's online or in the classroom, but mm -hmm. they see the value in transitioning to, to something more like micro learning or something more mm -hmm. personalized. What does it take? What are some initial steps that a company can take to transition from the one to the other? Sure. So, you know, the good news is that a lot of companies are seeing the value in that. You know, like I said, they're so ubiquitous. We've all been held hostage by them that I think that there is a lot of empathy among just all humans in a corporate environment for that experience. So that is big thumbs up there. So again, I guess, you know, what I see in my experience, I continue to be that professional middleman or advocate, if you will, just reminding clients that, you know, okay, the learner can be trusted 
first of all. Most learners want to be competent. Learners who don't, that's more of a job fit performance issue outside of, of training. But we can rely that on learners to want to do their jobs better and to seek out information. And if we can show them that we are better than Google, we can filter information to them that is relevant to their jobs so that they don't have to try to figure out, you know, okay, I want to learn how to do this, but I don't know what to call it. So if they don't have that metacognitive ability, or even they don't know what they don't know because they're new to their jobs, if we can show them that we can provide them a little quick hit that'll, you know, get you started for your first week. And then here's what you need to know as you get your basics down. And then here's what you need to know um, if you want to really expand and extend your practice. So I think if we can show them that we can give you what you need and then we'll let you go, kind of like, you know, the whole, if you, if you love them, let them go. Like, let them log in, let them decide how long they need to be there. You know, a lot of learners have expressed to me um, how they use learning tools in their personal lives. If they want to learn how to do something with um, carpentry, they go onto YouTube, they find the segment they need, they stop watching. YouTube doesn't hold them hostage, doesn't lock up their phone. It doesn't tell them that they're non-compliant if they don't finish. So we need to take that cue. People do understand what they need to a certain extent. And if you put the WIFM up front, you know, this video is going to show you how to use X skill in carpentry. Great. I can watch it as long as I need. Oh, okay. Got it from here. But maybe I'll bookmark that for next time. This is a good channel. So if we can sort of maybe have a little bit more of a customer service perspective, break it into smaller pieces, you know, it's not a spoiler to tell the learner what's in it for them. It's really not. And if you just say, you know, how do I do X? How do I tie a tie? How do I tie my shoes? Um, If you put that up front, oh, right. Okay. I just have to make that loop and then maybe I'm done and Mm -hmm. maybe that's okay. Right. So if we can do that for them, I think we are doing them a really much better service than keeping them in a module that they're not going to remember anyway. And, you know, they're kind of getting what they need as they take those quick hits because we know that learners tend to remember the first thing and the last thing that they learn. So the shorter the burst of learning, the more memorable it really is. Yeah. Now, there, there are a lot of platforms out there and apps and all kinds of technologies that mm-hmm. promise to do a lot of what you're talking about. How can you, and I think it can be really confusing to like, you know, Google learning platform, you'll just get like hundreds, thousands of options. Have you worked with any technologies that you recommend or kinds of technologies that you think are good places to start if you're new to this kind of this style of of training? Sure. I, I mean, I think it really depends. It all goes back to the use case. Do you need it and why? Keeping it as simple as possible. I mean, I have a couple that I've liked to use, but that's because they were right for the use case. Um, sure. You know, I've been to ATD and just walking around the marketplace. I love picking up all the free stuff, but that just shows me how much everyone is really selling their shiny object. And some of them yeah. are beautiful, shiny objects. But I think our value as L&D consultants and experts is to think about what we can offer in terms of recommendations. So To me, I feel like I have conversations for a living. So I talk about, you know, what do learners need? What is the business need? Okay, what do learners need to develop to get the business there? And sometimes it may just be they need a job aid. 
Um, they need a job yeah. aid because there are great people working right next to them. We know there are high performers in their organization. All they need to do is maybe have a little bit more of a plan for how they engage them and how they learn from them and the questions to ask and what to look for. So sometimes it's just super low tech um, and you don't need, say, for example, a video coaching platform because then again, you mm-hmm. need moderators, you need people to review the videos, you need feedback. So, you know, they add this whole other layer and sometimes it is 100% worth it and other times it's just not. So that may be a non-answer, but I think that it really just depends and it depends on the size of the group you want to engage. If you've got Mm -hmm. 20 people and you're trying to train some trainers, that's really different from training a sales team all over the world. Because Mm -hmm. as you get more people involved, responsibility dissolves, the need to, you know, engage meaningfully sort of drops and, you know, you just get that dissolution of responsibility. So it really depends on the use case. Honestly, we know that, you know, as you tend to adopt more technology that adds layers of complication, there does tend to need to be more tech support. And I'm a big fan of offering multiple modalities. Not everyone is an app person. Not yeah. everyone likes to download. Some people are very protective of their personal information because they've had bad experiences. So, um, some people, you know, they're just, that's not how they prefer to engage. So, you know, we have to respect that too, I think. So I think um, multiple modalities is really the way to go. So from just, here's a PDF that you can read and maybe has mm-hmm. some links on it to, you know, here's this whole way to engage. If you want to reach out, if you want support, if you want to be coached by a high-performing peer and so on. Okay. So it sounds to me like the very first step before you get into any kind of technology is for a given organization to do a kind of needs assessment, like to take a good mm-hmm. hard look at themselves and say, okay, <laughs> what, what are we trying to accomplish? What kinds of learners do we have? What have we done before and what has not worked about that, right? What has not engaged mm-hmm. learners and let's not do that anymore. What has worked and double down on that. So it's, it seems like, and, and that seems kind of obvious, but I bet a lot of organizations skip that step or, you know, just haven't taken enough time to do that maybe. Right. Or they look at, you know, the Joneses next door who are using some kind of cool AR or VR technology. And it is super cool. And there are absolutely use cases for it. You know, for example, when you can't be in a hazardous area, you can't just go in there and train or when a product isn't available yet, but you want a picture, you know, what it will look like or some features. Absolutely. But it's maybe not the right solution for everyone. But yeah. I think some companies look at that and they say, hey, I want that. Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't my trusted advisors recommending that to me? Well, it's probably not that they haven't thought about it. It's probably not that they haven't heard of it. It just maybe it's not the right use case. Yeah. Not the most, you know, it's not going to give you the most value for what you're just investing. Cause, just because something is cool or new doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's the right thing for you. So how Absolutely. do you know? How do you know if a learning experience is engaging? How do you measure that? Well, there's always the level one data. So if people had a great time, that's great. But it really needs to go further than that. So I think this is where the design thinking um, process and sort of that empathy step has really a chance to prove its value. So regardless of the outcome, so some learning initiatives are going to work fantastically well and others are going to need some improvements or modifications, or maybe they just didn't work. But this is another way for your learners to speak to you and tell their story. So starting with the quantitative, the more hard data, 
Um, you need to look at what's being accessed and when. So, you know, you want to know, well, what are they hitting on? Is there one great thing, you know, and then you want to zero in on that and understand a little bit more. So that I think every piece of data will, it kind of is a stone that you end up having to turn over and ask questions yeah. about. So if everyone, you know, if 10,000 people have accessed this one performance support solution, you know, what's so great about that? You want to delve more into that. So I feel like, you know, as you start asking these questions, there'll be more questions and that'll lead you down a path that will actually be quite interesting. So, you know, look at what, when, for how long, um, how long did they stay on that page? How long do they watch this video? You know, if they're, if it's Mm -hmm. a five minute video and you're losing people after a minute and a half, maybe that's as long as it needs to be. And the rest is a different solution. You know, if you're working with folks who are your own folks and they're traceable in your different company locations, you might want to know from where, hey, this one, you know, location of ours really has a lot of people accessing it. Oh, and it seems like we've had a lot of new hires. That's interesting. Maybe this is helpful for new hires. Maybe mm. we should make this more robust. So going back to that, you know, learner engagement piece, if learners only want to be engaged for as long as they need to be engaged, you might be doing the job if they're logging you know, if you can view the IPs again, are they at work? Are they on the road? Where are they accessing this? Are you getting um, return visitors? You know, if you have a sharing component, are they sharing? What are they saying when they're sharing? Like, hey, Fred, check this out. This is a great tool. Um, you know, where, what is happening when they're in the system? What, you know, data can you find that's suggesting they're accessing it at a moment of need? And then, of course, just getting outside just the learning space, what is the business data showing? So every learning initiative should be tied to some business goals. So whether you're looking at improved customer satisfaction, repeat customers, ratings of customer service, if you're looking at a call center environment. So, you know, there's all kinds of interesting ways to measure those. You can look, what did ratings look like before this learning initiative started? What do ratings of employees who use this more frequently or access it at different times, how does that look compared to employees who don't, you know, have learners improved over time? If you look at an individual learner, and as you see, they access more, is that correlated at all with improved performance on any key performance indicators? You know, do learners who use strategic resources do better? That might suggest that those are resources that really focus on skills that matter to the business. So again, these data will give you an idea of you know whom to talk to, when you go back out and when you're working face-to-face with your learners again. So it might give you some people to look at. Um, You might want to look at, say, high performers. What do they think of these tools? How do they use them? Do they use them? You know, you could look at your more improved performers, you know, did it help them? Was that what helped them? And, you know, even low performers, what might they need? Low performers, beginners, what else might they need to get them going on their job? So then you can get some of that qualitative research which is very rich, but it can be a little bit harder to pinpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it sounds like the good news is there are all kinds of ways to measure engagement uh, and you can do as much of it as as you want to or need to. So we've covered a lot of ground. We could keep talking about this for a while longer because it's such a rich subject, but we must conclude and we must wrap things up. So what are two or three things that you want listeners to take away from our discussion? Okay, so a couple takeaways here. One thing I really like to recommend, and I can't say this often enough, is teach the learners you have, not the ones that you wish you had. So I want to just remind everyone who works in the learning space that everyone has accumulated knowledge. It may not be an area that is valued yet, 
and it may not be in an area that you've seen yet, that you've seen that person demonstrate, but everyone does have knowledge. And if they don't have the skills we want them to have, then these are our people and we have to teach them. So that's my first takeaway. And then I would say, secondly, <laughs> I would also keep saying this over and over, uh, don't hold learners hostage. The WIFM is not a spoiler. Provide it up front and you know, entice the learner to click. You know, let them decide what they need. Trust them. Trust that people want to be competent and that they can be with guidance. And then finally, just regarding technology and apps and all of those wonderful shiny objects that are out there. And some of them really are wonderful and very cool. Occam's razor. So they should solve a problem. So know who you are as a company. Know what the business needs and how the learner um, is going to help them, you know, reach their goals before you sign on to a contract or start asking learners to download. So you want to make learning easier and increase access. You don't want to add a layer of complication and make the technology the focus. Okay, fantastic. Well, Tiffany, you are truly a fountain of knowledge on this topic. <laughs> um, and so I'm so glad we had you on the podcast. And thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.